0: Hey, what's up, guys? Chad Hermanson here with Mental Edge Training Coach. Today, I'll be talking with Tony Beasley. Tony is the third base coach for the Texas Rangers. We were teammates in in Pittsburgh in the minor leagues when he had come down, and I had just found out that he is my personal Kevin Costner. Have you ever seen the movie Bull Durham? He explains his story, how he was sent down from AAA to AA to work with this young kid who happened to be me. So it's kind of funny how this story works that I knew nothing about. So we're going to enjoy Tony's story, his bout with cancer, some huge adversity that he's going through at this point in time and is killing it. So enjoy this episode with Tony Beasley. Hey Tony, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. How's it going?
1: It's going awesome, Hermie. It's good to see you, man. It's been a long time, so but I, I'm I'm looking forward to this conversation because we we haven't caught up in a while. <laughs> That's what's been great with with these
0: Zoom calls. I'm catching up with guys I haven't seen in well over a decade. I mean, it yeah. might be fifteen plus, maybe even twenty years since I've seen you. Um, mm. So for our audience, so I was drafted by the Pirates in '95. You were already a part of the Pirates organization. Right. and it took me i guess 2 years we were we were teammates together in double mm-hmm. a in uh, Zebulon North Carolina that's a Carolina yeah. Mudcats absolutely <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what's cool about that is so at that time i was 19 years old and you were our veteran of the team right. right you were you've been around for a long time so what do you remember about that would be 1997 what do you remember about yeah. that
1: well, I remember it because I started that year in Triple A, um in Calgary. Yep. And then I ended up coming back down late in the season. And I and I you know and I don't know if um if you know this but this is what I was told anyhow. And um uh, like you may be part of the reason why I came back down. But we'll get to <laughs> it. because so, i 'cause I'm 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 having a pretty good year in Triple A in Calgary and Trent Jewish the manager and um Trent calls me in his office after a game. This is probably, I don't know, June maybe, July-ish. And, um, and he's upset. I'm like, what's up, Trent? And he's like, Paul called me. Paul Tonnell was a farm director at the time. And he said, and he wants you to go to A." And he said, you're not going. I don't want you to go. He said, so stay here until you hear otherwise. He said, but you can't come to the ballpark until you hear from it because obviously they – made a move, they've sent another guy here. So I I hung out in the apartment for like three days. I had my wife and my son with me. And I'm like, what's going on, man? I never heard anything like this. And uh Trent was like, he called me after those three days and I went back and uh to to his office at the ballpark and we started talking and he said, You having a good year. I don't I don't want you going down. Right. You know, uh, and uh he said, but you know, we have a younger player in uh um in Zebulon. He said, and they want you to kind of work with him uh at second base. And I said, Really? And so I said, Who's who's the player? And he said, Hermerson. And I said, Okay. And so I said, Hey man, I, you know, I was I was kinda like that was my last year actually playing in here in ninety seven. And so I could kinda I kinda had knew that the road was kind of getting to the end because Cam Bonifay had spoke to me about what he would, what he foresaw me after playing. And he, he had already talked to me about, you know, when, whenever you decide you're done playing, there's a coaching opportunity for you in his organization. And so that was the first thing that kind of came to my mind. So you got the subtle hint there? <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a very subtle hint, man. But, I was, you know, I was always an organizational player and uh, I, I understood that. And so I was good with that. But, you know, you, as a player, you always kind of hold on to that hope that, you know, something's going to – there's going to be a breakthrough and, and I'm going to get a chance to play at the major league level. And for me, it, it, it didn't – that wasn't the route that got me to the major league level, ended up being coaching. So who knows? It was probably the best decision that Paul Tonell or anyone else had made uh, as far as my career was concerned. So I came back down and, and uh, I think – Banny was the manager. Jeff Bannister was the manager. I want to believe he was. So that
0: was uh, that was 90...
1: Mark Hill, Booter. No, it was Booter. That's right. It was Booter. Yeah. Booter was the manager. Buter Banny was, was in, uh, I think Banny was still. He was still in Lynchburg, Lynchburg, maybe? I think so. Yeah, he was still in Lynchburg. Yeah, that's right. Banny was there in 98 because I that was, yeah, I was a player coach. and He yeah. was the manager there in 98. And so, yeah, I came down, and I don't know how much I work with you. I don't remember that part of it. You know, but I just came down so, and yeah. So I I didn't know I didn't know this. This is all new info. <laughs> that's what they
0: told me. Yeah, right. we're like so, we're getting B's from AAA now. We're I'm a mess at second. Well, so th- so to kind of I've I've been at shortstop the whole year, right? Uh, majority of the year, but then I I had enough of it. I'm like, get me in the outfield. Yeah, playing center field for I don't know probably two months or so, mm-hmm. and then that's when they came back to me said, let's try you at second base. Yeah, and I'm like. Well, I wasn't able to figure out a shortstop. How, you know, second, you know, so I guess it was a, uh, we're going to try. Yeah they,
1: yeah, they they. told me to, uh, they said, go, we want you to go and and um and work around second base. Like, turn your double play with, with Hermie. And I was like, all right, cool. And so then I came down thinking that, <laughs> you know, I was going to have my first experience of coaching. <laughs> but I don't remember us, I don't remember one time. Where you and I were at second base together, like, "Hey, Hermie, this is the footwork, this is the transition." Right. I don't right. remember one one of those because I I do remember you was like, "Okay, I'm going to the outfield," you know. But <laughs> so you're saying too, you didn't help me at all. Is that what you're saying? I don't think I don't think it helped you. <laughs> I, I don't think it helped you at all. <laughs> I don't think so. But I I remember I remember envying your swing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> Maybe he can help me, you know. <laughs> if I can learn, I'll we'll do hit a like trade-off, right?
0: <laughs> so so you're telling me without even knowing it, you're my Kevin Costner.
1: Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> That's something you're right.
0: So so for our audience, how, how old were you when this happened? So, to kind of get an idea.
1: I was probably at that point twenty eight, I wanna say. Twenty eight okay so you're getting closer to 30 yeah okay yeah yeah And so I kind of I kind of knew that you know you get to that age where something's got to happen like it's kind of like a crossroad you know you're gonna make a decision you're gonna keep playing I mean because I was starting to become a free agent and you know and and I was married I had a kid and I was saying in my mind I don't know if I want to be a free agent bouncing from team to team and so if I'm not going to, like, be a big league player and it's, it's a coaching opportunity, then I'll do it. I probably could have kept playing. But I had an opportunity to coach. I just took it.
0: Did you feel – because I, I, I feel at that age, because I got to that – I was done at 30, and I, I felt yeah. like I could play longer, but my, my injuries yeah. were, like, basically, like, dude, you're done. Um, 28, 29, 30, and you haven't got to the big leagues yet but you feel like there's hope. You feel like you yeah. can still get there, right? And your mindset is like, dude, I've been playing, all, like, I'm going to get there. There's, something's going to happen, right? right. That's but, right. Then but then there's also that business side, right? Where you're like, well, I'm not on a fourth man yep. roster,
1: yep.
0: right? I, maybe I'm not a, a, quote, prospect, Yep. but, but I'm, an, like you said, I'm an org guy, mm-hmm. but still good enough if I, if I had to go up and play for a week, two weeks, I could do it in the big league.
1: do it, yeah.
0: I absolutely. could fill a roster spot. So you – so that's – at what point did you feel like – because kids don't understand that as a, as a scout now. Uh, they don't know that, that – yeah, some of you – we're going to draft you and we already believe that you're an organizational player. Yeah. Now, they don't know that. At what point did you feel
1: like you knew that? Well, I felt like I – well, first of all, I was drafted by the – uh, by the uh, Orioles, I'm sorry, yeah. in the 19th round. And um, when I was with the Orioles, I was deemed prospect. Well, when I got traded to the Pirates uh, after the '92 season, you know, and I and I came to um, to Pittsburgh, I, I kind of, I didn't believe that right away. But it was different because it was a different organization, and I could tell that there wasn't like a connection with me, you know, per se. So I felt like I had to like start from scratch and develop relationships and, and try to prove who I was as a, as, a, as a baseball player to the organization. And there were people in front of me. You know, Bruce Driver was in front of me. Austin uh, Manahan was the number one pick. They were in front of me. And so I kind of sat behind those guys in 93. You know, I didn't, I wasn't like the starter for the first time in my life. And I was like, it was like, a, it was a change. It's something that I just hadn't been accustomed to. Uh, and so playing off the bench and playing the, like a utility role and doing stuff to like, man, I I don't know how much I enjoyed this, you know, because I think I'm better than this. And so I had to wait. And, I'm, you know, Austin was struggling offensively. And I'm like, dude, I'm, 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 I know I can play. And this dude's not hitting, but he was the number one pick, man. There was money invested in him, so he he had to get every opportunity to fail. Yeah, and uh, and he did. And Bruce Schreiber could hit, you know. But I I feel like I was a better athlete and better overall player than than Schreiber also. But I just kept grinding, man. I just kept grinding um, because I did believe in myself, and uh, I just kept kept my nose to the to the grind and. eventually I got a chance to play a lot. Uh, But once I started understanding, like, the 40-man roster and how that works, because once I got to double-A, I was having a really good year. And then Kevin Polkovich was a high pick. And Pokey got, like, promoted above me. And I was like, all right. So now I'm, I'm understanding that. I, back then, I, I called it like a filler player. You know, it's the same thing. It's an org or player, but I never gave up hoping in that something could happen because I I believed in my talent, uh, and I, I just believed that something would happen, some type of door would open, and that I would get an opportunity to play. Because every now and then, somebody would 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 say something to me, you know, either Chet, uh, it was Chet. That's right. Well, she, That's last name, Montgomery. Oh, Montgomery, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it was he like, it was like 90. Yeah, he was a hundred, yeah. <laughs> you know, but they would always mention something to me, you know, that would give me a little spark of hope, you know? And, and so those are the things that kept, kept me going and kept me believing that something could possibly happen. And um, so I just kept fighting and kept grinding. And I said, I said to myself that I would always do everything that I could control. Mm -hmm. and do the best that I could possibly do and if I do that I can live with the outcome and so it didn't matter to me you know if the outcome was being a major league player or not I I just wanted to maximize who I was as a baseball player and I felt good about that when it was all said and done because I I do believe that that I didn't cheat myself Mm -hmm. you know I played hard I worked hard I was a good teammate you know and so I didn't I didn't cheat myself, you know. Obviously, we can always look back and say, I probably could have done this better or I might could have put more attention to this. I think we all can do that. Yeah. But in, an, in a nutshell, I felt like I, I gave a great effort uh, to give myself a chance to be the best that I could be. And it didn't work out on, on the field for me as a player. So I can live with that. I, I can live with that. So I, I, didn't, I didn't feel bad about it because once I became, became a coach, and I think it's important, you know, when you're a player that's, that starts coaching kind of young like I did, you've got to be done with playing in your mind. Otherwise, you're not going to be a very good coach.
0: That's the hardest part, would you say, right? You have to, yeah.
1: you have to transition immediately? Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, when you, when you look – when you're a coach and you're still thinking, man, I can hit this guy or, you know, I could have made that play. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's no good, man. Right. Players don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear – I've found that players don't really want to hear about what you did when you played. What can I do to help the player? And so I, you try to, I try not to, at least I try not to talk about stuff like that.
0: Yeah. So, so now you, so you played nine years in the Meyer leagues. You mm-hmm. were probably inches away from getting there yeah. and now you transitioned to a coach. What
1: age were you at that point? Uh, I think I was 31 because in 98, I had to be like 30 year because '98 was um was the year I was a player coach.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. And I was in I was in AA that year. Okay. As a player coach, so I, I didn't I played maybe one game. We had an injury and they couldn't get a player there quick enough, and I was active. I don't even know why I played. I was active. Benny <laughs> played. Me. I remember I got a hit. I couldn't believe I got a hit because I hadn't been taking BP and been taking ground balls. I hadn't been taking nothing. I was yeah going BP and. And just transitioning to be a coach, and then we had an injury, and he said, "You know, Benny, Benny said, you active tonight.'" <laughs> and, I was like, what? and I was in the lineup. I was, Are you kidding me? And yeah, I remember hitting the double off the wall. I was like, "How did I do that?" I, I was knew- gonna
0: say you probably had your best game ever, right?
1: It was unbelievable, but yeah. it's, it's like we, when you, it's like when you don't play golf forever, your first round back is usually pretty good. So yeah. it was like that. And I had to play a second game, probably would have been so.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure you're, when you say your perspective at that point, you now you, you have a little bit of a taste of a coach, were you, you just completely relaxed at that point. Like, kind of not, I'm going to go play, try to do my best, but
1: I, I'm not as worried about the outcome. Exactly. Because at that point, it was not like I was, I was the type of guy that I played to eat. I mean, every game for me was like, you gotta play well or you might gonna have a uniform tomorrow. Like that's that was in my mind. I wasn't a prospect and I wasn't on a roster. So I every day to me was like survival. And that that one particular game that I played was like, whatever, just yeah. play, you know. Yeah. No big deal. So you're right, it's probably the the most free I've ever been in professional baseball. It's interesting, right? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> you, you you just take all you take all the expectations and and all the added pressures that we put on ourselves and that other people and organizations put on us, you take that stuff away, then you can perform. And that's what helped me manage And I, I didn't forget that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so now you've,
0: you, you've started coaching. You're still in the Pirates organization. Um, you're working with our good buddy, Jeff Bannister. Mm-hmm. Um, where and when do you get your first managerial
1: job? Uh, it was 2001 because I'd been a hitting coach a couple of years. And then uh, I think Dave Clark was slated to go to Williamsport, uh, the New York Penn League. And Dave Clark got a – Lord McClendon was hired as the manager and he took Dave Clark with him as right. his hitting coach. And so we had an open spot. But all of this happened kind of late in the offseason, so they didn't hire anybody. And I didn't – I went to spring training as the hitting coach. And then, like the first week of spring training, um, I think it was Cam and Vuk maybe they they approached me with with managing uh, the the short season. Yeah. And I I really I enjoyed being a hitting coach. I loved being a hitting coach. I didn't really manage. And then Willie Willie Stargell was still around. Willie Stargell convinced me that I needed to take the managing job. And I said, Willie, I don't want to do it. And He said, You need to do it. You need to do. You'll be good at it. <laughs> And so he ended up talking me into to accepting it. And I said, well, I, I've, I've never managed. I don't have any experience. And Cam said, well, we'll let you manage extended. You know, Woody always managed extended extended, and ran everything down there. Yeah. And so to get Woody to kind of take a step back and, and allow me to, to run extended and manage the team and just deal with the players from a managerial our, our perspective I respect Woody for that because he didn't have to do that. But, and, he, and he really did a good job of it because he really just got out of the way and let me do it. And, you know, he would advise me if I needed advice. But he didn't, he didn't, like, he didn't try to do the job for me. He allowed me to do it. And that's what the organization had asked of him. So I'm thankful that he allowed me to get that experience. And, man, one thing I found out quickly is that I loved it. Yeah. I mean, I love being a hitting coach. You deal with players. But as a manager, I felt like you could really impact and in so many ways because, you know, when I was a hitting coach, I focused on hitting, you know. And I've been an infield coordinator. You focus on just infield. But as a manager, you look at everything. You're involved with every player on that team, on that roster, pitchers, position players, and it's not just one specific area. I mean, you, it's just a broad view of the game and and of each individual that's in that clubhouse and so I love the the challenge of 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 taking such a diverse group and just united I mean that was that was one of the things that I I I love when you could see them come together and play as one and uh and really go out on the field and represent what you stand for as an organization and what we've instilled and how we want to play the game and to respect the game and just I just enjoyed that. I had a great great uh great feeling about get having the opportunity to impact men like that and, and not just even baseball players, but I felt like I could make a difference in who they were as men as well. Mm. And that was probably most important because I more than anyone understood that not everybody's gonna make it to the major league. So but everyone can be a good human being. So that was that was probably one of my biggest biggest things.
0: That's interesting. So I, what I gathered there is you were actually, you, you had, you could say some fear of not wanting, you were comfortable being a hitting coach. You were mm-hmm. uncomfortable, like you want me to be a manager. And so your first thoughts there were, dude, are you crazy? <laughs> like, yeah, I want to do that. Right. Absolutely. I want to, I want to stay in my lane. I want to be a hitting coach. Forget that managerial spot, but you, you gravitated toward it and you loved it immediately. What were uh, any stories you could share with us as you started managing? Because you're you're in your early thirties now, mm-hmm. um, you're, you're probably dealing with teenagers, you know, young kids in their twenties. Any stories you have for us that you felt like you made some impact with some players?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, a lot of a lot of things. I mean, I just think like one one in particular, like Brandon Chavez, you know, like. And this is just this is just talking about how how when you really build a relationship with with your players, and because I think we we become more than just a their, their baseball coach. You become father figures and mentors, and so and they really it really came to the surface with me uh, when because I always invested in the player every day. I, I check in on every player. I wanted to know how they were doing, how the family was, and. I wanted to know about their lives outside of baseball, yeah. you know? And so when Chavez calls me at like 3.30 in the morning and he's, he's just, he's lost, you know, and his his father's, and they're from Hawaii and his father just passed mm. and I'm the person that he calls and he wants me to come to his apartment and just be with them, you know? Right. I mean, and that, that I'll never forget that. I mean, and I, and I did, I got up, I went to his apartment and we just sat there and, and you know I didn't say a whole lot in the beginning because I wanted him to be able to just say what he wanted to say or feel how he needed to feel or, you know if he wanted me to talk then I would allow him to just direct the conversation and but we, we did we sat there and and we just spent time together and uh I was just there for him I mean I didn't have to say anything. I was I was there for him in a time where he needed someone to really be there for him. It had nothing to do with baseball, nothing whatsoever. Right. And so that was one moment that I'll never forget. And then then another situation is kind of like how you can build a relationship and then get messages across to players um uh, you know we had uh Walter Young, uh Big Waltz, the first baseman and we're in, uh we're in Hickory, North Carolina and we're playing we, we were in first place at the time and i had a really good team but it was just lefty on the mound that night and walt had he struck walt out really really bad like it looked ugly up there <laughs> and so i'm like because i i used to do this to players a lot but i i I really got walt good and so i forget who was on the bench i think it was aliendo or somebody i said i said get, get your helmet i said, uh waltz up, up third i said uh I want you to act like you're going to hit for him. I said, you're not. I said, but I want you to act like and Don't don't let him know. And so he he came in. Yeah, I was going to coach third, but I'm right by the dugout. Yeah. And I told him, I said, walk. Well, I said, hold hold tight before you go to hit. And uh, he looked at me up funny. He said, why? And I said, well, I'm probably going to pinch hit for you. And he said, why, Beast? And I said, well, I mean, I watched your last at bat, dude. I said, I, I don't know that I can. Send you up there again like that. I, I need to protect you right here. I said that, that guy made you look pretty bad. You last that bad. I said I don't know that you have a chance against this lefty. And uh, I'm 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 poker facing. Him. And he's like, are you kidding me? He's he's he was really mad. You're getting hot, yeah. He's like, I don't believe. You. I said just just hold tight, you know. And so I told him that I was gonna pinch it for him. He sat down. He wasn't ready to hit at all. Okay. We got two quick outs. And uh, Aliendo was just like standing there with his helmet's back. And I did that to him sat down. I said, Walt, go hit. And at the last moment, nothing. No preparation, no nothing. And he went up there and he hit. And I mean, he hit an absolute moonshot off of this guy. And then he comes around third he goes, he looks at me and he goes, yeah, you pinch it for me again. Think about that. And so, and so when the game ended, you know, I, I, I called him into my office and I said, I said, hey, man, do you understand what happened tonight? He said, no, what are you talking about? I said, well, you, you were mad at me, right? He said, yeah, I was, t- I was ticked at you. And I said, and, I, and I'm good with that. I said, I respect that. You know, I said, but I said, why, did, why were you able to go up to the plate and do what you did with ease after the guy just carved you up your first at bat? Mm-hmm. He was like, man, you challenged me. Like, you, you basically told me, like, I couldn't hit this guy. So I was determined to show you, like, I was locked in. Okay. And I said, that's my point exactly, Walt. I said, that same focus that you took up there and that same energy that you took up there, that at bat, like, you were on a mission. That's what you need to take up there every single time. I shouldn't have to pull that out of you. Right. I said, I need that to be a part of who you are. And then he just he got started. I said, I was never going to pinch hit for you right there. I said the whole thing was staged. I said you can ask Alaynda. They started laughing, and so I said, so you need to thank me for the home run. Don't be all upset. And so, but I said, but this is what I expect out you each and every day. I said, if you want to be a big leaguer and you want to be the very best you can be, take that mentality to the plate every single time, brother. And he, he appreciated that. So, I mean, to have the opportunity to to have moments like that, teaching moments, and and moments where you can embrace your guys uh, when they really need you outside the field. You know, those those are things I'll never forget. That's sweet, man.
0: That's that's so cool. Because I what I what I hear there is when we get into the season, right? We, we're playing every day. We can get lost and in, in, at times giving away at bats. Yeah, right? absolutely. It's not not having that complete focus every yeah. single time because it's uh, another another day. not there four at bats. I'm exhausted. Yeah. This bat weighs five pounds.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I used I used to do things like with with, with Jose Batista. You know, I'd take him out of the game. That, like Bowdy would be four for five, and he would his fifth. I mean, the one out that he made that night would be like a missile, like right at the left fielder or something. And they, you know, he couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't hit the ball any harder, but his attitude would be terrible about it. Yeah, and and then. You know he'd go out before between the innings and he just launches his throws over the first baseman's of his head because he's so mad and so and his teammates hated it he didn't know his teammates hated it, but I knew because I would hear the comments, and so I would call him right out the game right in the midst of that, and if I took them out of the game, they had to sit right beside me and like i'm I'm not a guy that yells and curses and screams I, I don't do any of that because that's right. not a part of my belief system and but I take him out. I said, if you come out of the game, you got to sit. You gotta sit right beside me. Mm-hmm. You got to sit right beside me. So maybe we can talk about it or whatever. But I, I won't take you out of the game that allow you to go in the clubhouse or allow you to sit down at the end of the bench and just be disconnected. Yeah. I won't allow that. So if I have to take you out of the game for any reason, you sit beside me. And so he did. He sat beside me, and, he'd cry and he cried. And so I called him in afterwards, and I talked to him. I said, Bobby, do you understand why I took you out of the game? And he said, no, I don't understand it, man. I said, man, you know, taking money from you is, is not an issue. I said, you, you don't mind, like, paying 100 bucks. I said, I don't want your money. I said, but I do want you to learn certain things uh, that's important. And, um, and he was – I said, for me, the most important thing for you is playing because you are passionate about playing this game. You love to play, and you want to be on the field at all times. Mm-hmm. I said, but I need you to understand the perception of how your teammates view you. I said, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I said, listen, dude, you're four for five. You're out is a line out. I said, the guy next to you, I said, and you're I said, and you're whining and complaining about that. I mean, you're screaming, you're cursing, you're throwing stuff. Like, you're irate. Mm-hmm. I said, the guy next to you in his lockers, he's 0 for four with three punch outs. I said, you get my point. Like, he don't care about that one line out that you made. You got four hits, man.
0: Yeah,
1: I'm saying, he don't want to hear about you coming in and doing that. I said, and then you go out and check out on defense. I said, you're my best player. I said, so your teammates are looking at you like you're the most selfish guy that's ever put the uniform on I said, I don't want you perceived that way. Mm-hmm. I said, so I have to take you out, and I need to sit you down and try to explain this to you. I said, because the worst thing that can happen is you're not perceived as a team player. I said, so I want you to get that message. And if I have to take you out tonight, to next, the next night, and I said, I'll do it. I will do it. I said, because I want, I need you to get this. And he was a smart guy. He was sharp. He got it. He got. It. Yeah. But, but to, it to be, to be able to to form the right relationships with those guys, to be able to do those type of things, and and they still love you and respect you, you know, I, I think that's, I think that speaks towards investing in the person first. Absolutely. So that this is Jose Batista
0: pre getting to the big leagues.
1: Absolutely. Uh, but
0: right. learning, the, learning these lessons in the minor leagues that – because when he got to the big leagues with the Pirates, he was still yeah. – he was obviously a good player. He got to the big yeah. leagues, did well, but he wasn't the Jose Batista we saw with the Blue Jays. No. So, now, did you notice those swing changes and adjustments right away with him when he left the Pirates to the
1: Blue Jays? I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't notice all that. I mean, because I was with him in Pittsburgh before he left. He yes. was. He was playing really good in Pittsburgh. Right. He. He didn't. He. He kind of clashed with the staff that we had there at the time. Okay. And, okay. and he he got traded. Um, I just think I think he went into a situation that, for some reason, it, he felt free, felt wanted. 'Cause I think he I think he didn't feel wanted at the end of his tenure in Pittsburgh. And so he was playing with a different type of emotion. Okay. And it's like that one game you said I was free. I think he felt free to yeah. finally do what what he's capable of doing. I mean, I really I never really saw the difference in the swing stuff that I heard about. I heard people talking about the adjustments that he made, but I, I knew him from the minor leagues. I had him four times in the minor leagues and I was with him in Pittsburgh. Right. And he always killed a fastball, mm-hmm. always, always killed a fastball. And he could hit a breaking ball too. Um, and he was a smart guy. So I, I just never – I never really saw those changes. Um, so if they were they, were, they were, they must have been something really minuscule yeah. uh, adjustments that he made because I didn't see anything glaring. Uh, and I played against him a ton when he was in yeah. Toronto. I just remember you know, I
0: the big uh, – because I'm kind of envisioning, picturing what he did. I think he was just kind of a step for the ball and swing guy. Kind of very simple. But then when he got to Toronto, it was kind of the bigger late kick.
1: Yeah, he did hang a little of, bit.
0: He would hang that up there, and it seemed like that was just, it was to slow him down. Yeah. Uh, that was the idea. That,
1: that probably did help him stay behind the ball a little bit. Yeah. Because you're right. He, did get, he would get to his front side a little quick in, in yeah. Pittsburgh. And that would make him be around a lot of balls and so he because he's really top heavy top hand heavy but in toronto he was a little he did have a little more of a leg kick way home that probably kept him through it but you know he didn't forget the stuff in the minors because this is once he became jose batista in toronto with the big numbers and big contract and i guess someone was doing an article on him about stuff and and he mentioned me as 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 one of his managers that that had a a really great impact on him coming up through the minor leagues. That's awesome. Because they got because the reporter called me and, and he said Batista had mentioned you as, you know, the manager had probably had the most impact on him uh, coming up as a young kid and uh, and he interviewed me about it. So that's awesome.
0: It makes <laughs> you feel good about him being a you're actually providing some information to players and, and absolutely part of that. That's great. So now yeah. so you've you've continued some managing in the minor leagues. Then you finally you get to the big leagues. So tell us about that big league experience as a
1: coach. Yeah, you know, in 2006, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been managing in Altoona and AA uh, with the Pirates. And I've never managed – I hadn't managed in AAA to that point. But just so happened, that offseason, actually the New York Yankees called and they interviewed me for their infield coordinator's job. Okay. And, uh, and, and they hired me. You know, Brian Graham was the, field, was, was the farm director. And Brian, Brian said, hey, if the Yankees are going to give you the coordinator, you got to take it. You know, we'd love for you to stay here as a manager in AA. He said, well, you, you can't pass that job down. So I accepted that job, and that was like December. And then, so I was a Yankee for like a month. Then <laughs> January, the Nationals called, and they were like, we have a, uh, two big league jobs. We want, we want, we want you to interview uh, for one of them. And I said, okay. They said, when can you be here? Well, I live in Virginia, so I, said, I can be there today. I can be there tomorrow, whenever you want me there. And they said, well, come in tomorrow morning. So I went in, and I, I sit down with Jim Bowden, and we interviewed. And Cashman had given him 48 hours to interview me and make a decision. And so I, the interview process was, was, was cool. For me, it was good. I mean, a few trick questions here and there, but... I knew what I knew what my belief system was, and I wasn't going to compromise, you know, any of my non-negotiables. Who I was mm. as a man, and what's important to me. Uh, I, I don't, I won't do that for any job. Yeah. So I mean, first thing I, you know, I told him about my my faith, you know, my belief in Christ, and everything. I said that's because he asked me, "Who are you?" And I said, "Well, first and foremost, you know, I'm I'm a strong Christian. I believe in God. I said I won't compromise my my faith for for any for anyone." Or for any job, mm-hmm. I said. So if if you expect me to be something different, then you got the wrong guy. So I said that right up front. Then then it, Frank Robinson was the manager, and mm. uh, so they they kind of asked me some other questions relating to how I would deal with a manager. You know, Frank's caliper or this and that. And, okay. So you know, it, it was it was a good interview, and I, he ended up hiring me after that interview. And so I had an opportunity to 2006, my, my first big league experience as a major league third base coach. And I wasn't initially the infield guy. I was just a third base coach. And it's kind of help out in other areas uh, of instruction. But I ended up being the infield guy. And, and so that was that was quite the experience because they had a lot of veteran players and I hadn't even, I hadn't managed above double A. I hadn't managed in the Arizona Fall League yeah. one year which at that time it was only double-A, AA, triple-A players. You know, it's a little different now. And so that was kind of my only experience with older veteran players. But that team, man, you got Nick Johnson at first base, Jose, Jose Vidro at second, Royce Clayton at short, and Ryan, <laughs> Zimmerman was, Ryan Zimmerman was the baby. And that was his first first year in the Major League's full year. He did wow. not got drafted in 05, and he got called up. Uh, in September of 05. Right, and then out he of never. He, yeah, he never saw the minor leagues. Yeah. Period. I mean, that was, people don't, I don't think a lot of people know how how that was. That was impressive what he was able to do. And so, but he was the only young young kid that was on that team. Everybody else was a, was a legit vet. And so I'm like, okay, how do I maneuver these vets and get relationships with them and find out what their routines are? But at the same time, get them to do some things that, that I need them to do adjustment wise. And so it was, it was a challenge, but I ultimately enjoyed that. And it made me, it just reiterated the same thing that I, that I knew in the minor leagues that the most important qualities you can have as a coach is to make sure that you, you're fair and you're firm, but you're always honest. You always have to be honest and you have to speak truth and, I think people respect truth, whether they like truth or not. You respect it, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's what helped me. They respected the fact that I would, if I didn't like something, I would tell them, "Hey, I don't I don't like that. I think you could do this better, but have a solution." That's one thing about big league players: don't tell them what they're doing wrong, and not have a, a solution. You know, right. I mean, anybody can can find problems, but you know, we looking for solutions and so I would always, I would never tell them something without having something to give them uh, in place of that. And so they trusted that that I knew what I was talking about and I had the best interest in heart. And so it, it, it ended up being a really, really good deal for me. So I enjoyed it. That was just a one year situation because Frank ended up getting fired after that year, okay. and then we were on hold as a staff. I was anyhow, and then Manny Actor was hired. And he bought his own people in to coach the bases against people that he had known throughout his career. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up going back to Pittsburgh as a field coordinator for one year, and then in '08 I was back in the big leagues uh, with Pittsburgh again as a third base coach. Eight, That's- nine, and 10. So. Okay. So it's 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 been it's been an experience, man, for me. But it's been it's been a, one of those deals where you know you never know, like. I, I never knew what my career was going to be like. like. I wanted to be in the major leagues, and once I was coaching, I am like, well, I want to be a, a major league coach. I want to manage in the big leagues because I was always I was, had success as a manager uh, in the minor leagues, and, I, you know, Baseball America, manager of the year and what have you. I, I had a couple of those under my belt. We won two championships um, while I was managing. We were in the playoffs every year except two out of the seven years managing. And so I was—I had a lot of success as a manager, and I just felt like I would get an opportunity to manage at the major league level, and I—I did it. But you know, I've been there. This is my tenth major league season already, as as a third base (laughs) coach. It's nine service times, um, wise, but it's it's my tenth season, and you just don't never know, man. You don't like. You don't know. You get. You just gotta keep grinding and keep believing, and and doors open up that. You know, obviously for me, it's, it's faith based because I, I believe that God's kind of is in control of my life, and and he he opens doors for me and leads me in places uh, to where where he would want me to be or need me to be, and, and I and my job is to just be faithful in the process, and and I always believe that that if if I would just walk walk worthy and and, and be faithful. That you know whatever he had for me is for me, and that's why I never like second guess stuff or worried about stuff. I just like I know I've I've given my best. Maybe this is the will of God, and I'm I'm good with that because I believe He has me where He has me for a specific reason. And I could if I spend my time trying to find out why I'm here, or I can spend my time trying to figure out what is it, God, that you have place me in this position to do because there's an assignment obviously and I, I need to find that and fulfill that as opposed to wondering why is this happening to me and so that's kind of how my my outlook has been on that and that's why I've always been able to have a good perspective on, on on things yeah no doubt that's awesome so you you get over as you're
0: managing third base you you're invited or whatever the I want to hear about the relationship with you and Jeff Bannister because you're you're now still the Texas Rangers third base coach you're currently a third base coach uh Banny Jeff Bannister becomes a manager over there how does that all work out and how do you become get over to Texas
1: yeah um you know Banny got this this job here in Texas and I was very happy for him for him Uh, we hadn't talked a whole whole lot I just called him and congratulated him uh when he got the job I never thought once about yeah, I'm going to be on his staff. I never asked him, Hey, you need a coach or whatever. None of that. Then we just, I just congratulate him. Hey, congrats, man. I'm happy for you. Cause I, cause I know that he, he was kind of like me, you know, he's a grinder, man, grinding through the system and, and, you know, dreaming that something can happen. And he got, he got the ultimate blessing to, to to manage at the major leagues, not just at the major leagues, but in his home state of Texas.
0: Yeah,
1: I know what that meant to him, <laughs> you know. And so I was very happy for him. And then it was like December when he called me. I was coming home from church, and and he called me. He said, "Hey, what are you doing?" I said, "On way home from church." And he said, uh, "He said I'm looking for third base third base coach." He said, "You you want to be with me? You with me?" and i said man i'm with you 100% you know just <laughs> say the word You're you do know? doing this as you going out of your sleep. <laughs> yeah i guess like, yeah. so, you know, so so i had to come in he he told me to come in i had to sit down the interview because you know no he knew me but you know the gm no one john daniels or no one here knew me within the range organization so i had to go through the interview interview process and i did and then they hired me you know that that same day so it, it was it was it was great man so he you know, I'm grateful to Banny for, for this opportunity, to give me the opportunity to be here. Uh, and I mean, like when he got let go, it, it took a little bit out of me, you know, because he brought me here. And so I felt weird, you know, and um, cause I'm still here and he's not. And it's like, it, it's 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 a different, it's a weird kind of feeling, you know, but I'm, and I'm grateful for him for this opportunity. But at the same time, you know, I wish he was still here with me. You know, which I, I, my my hope was that we would we would do this together for a long time, just mm-hmm. the two of us. Would and um, but you know, he's he's happy for me that I'm still here, and uh, and I'm I'm praying and hoping that he gets another opportunity to manage because I think he deserves that, and I know he would be awesome at it. So that's that's my hope for him. You know, but me, you know, it's a it's been an opportunity again, and I, I don't know. I mean, the Rangers organization has been great to me. Uh, you know, I dealt with cancer, and once again, I, I believe God puts us in certain places for the right reasons. My battery's getting low. i better I better plug. It <laughs> up. A, I'm gonna move so plug second plug. Yeah, no problem. But I think I think God has a puts us where we need to be for specific reasons, man. And, you know, I, I dealt with cancer. And I just know that being being here with the Texas Rangers, I, I got different treatment than I would have received had I not been here. Um, you know, the ownership group here, they made sure that I had the best of everything. Like mm-hmm. they they called me when I was diagnosed and they said, nothing against your doctors in Richmond, but we want you to have the best of treatments, you know, they wanted to get me to MD Anderson in Houston, and I'm this is the off season, so I'm like, well, how am I going to get back and forth to Houston? And they were like, don't worry about it, you know, let us know when you, whenever your appointments are, and and they they man they sent their planes, uh, private jets to pick myself and my wife up and and flew us from Virginia to Houston back to Virginia. I mean, they invested in me. Yeah, because they showed me right then and there that they cared about me, you know. And, and uh, the GM told me right off the bat, "Do not worry about your job. Just focus on getting healthy. Your job will be here when when you get ready." And so that, all that stuff meant a lot. And so you know, it's, it's been a blessing to to be able to to be a third base coach, and I don't know, just just to do this this thing that I I, I never really dreamed. I never really aspired to coach, to be honest with you. <laughs> I think it was about playing, right, but you just don't never know like what can happen in your life. and uh, I remember my very first game in the Big leagues in 2006. we opened up in Shea Stadium against the Mets, and yeah, I, I was a, a young kid that grew up uh, in the country in Virginia, and you know my father was a self-employed logger. And, he was a lumberjack, and you know, my mom was a housewife. I got seven brothers and sisters. We had no money. We, had, we had nothing, you know. And um, I just, I just remembered that when I walked into Shea Stadium, when I stepped in the third base coaching box, and I looked up, and I could see like fifty some thousand New Yorkers screaming and yelling. <laughs> it was loud, man. And and for me, there was a moment of quietness. And I just looked up, and I said, thank you, God. Because how did I get here? Mm-hmm. There's nothing but your grace and your mercy that I'm here. And so, I mean, it was just a, just a very humbling moment for me. I, I'll never forget that moment. And, uh, but it just, it, that's why I tell kids all the time, like, your beginning and your ending, they just don't have to be the same. Right. They don't have to be the same. You know, if you, if you aspire to do something, then just do it, man. And don't let people tell you that you can't do something or you can't be something. You just keep keep pushing, and you you keep believing in yourself, and you just keep going, even when there's obstacles in the road. Turn those obstacles obstacles into opportunities, and um, that's that's kind of what I what I've been grateful about and thankful for. I mean, you know, I've been very blessed, and I'm still very blessed. So. That's awesome. So, so that was, that was, you led me to my question of
0: you've obviously experienced some adversity in your life. You're, you've gone through cancer. Where are you at now with that?
1: Yeah, I'm this, well, I'm, I've got my checkup coming up probably next month. I got to set the date cause I've had to cancel a couple of times because of the COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going on four years clean. And so I need this year and next year and then they'll, you know, leaving you cancer free. And after the five years of checkups, but everything has been good. I haven't had any, any setbacks or what have you. Um, I've been, I've been a hundred percent like yeah. ever since, you know, I went through the process in 2016, the chemo radiation and the surgery and I, I wore an ostomy bag, a temporary bag uh, for like four months. And it was a, it was quite the journey, so to speak. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. But, you know, I, I, went, I went through that uh, just believing that, that my body was going to be healed and made whole. And, and, I, and I was. I mean, the thing about that story is is that I, I never, I never, like, worried about that. Like, when, when I was diagnosed, I didn't lose one night's sleep over it. Over that, I, and you I would never had
0: never, any, never any had any down days or like a woe is
1: me type moment. No, never. If anything, I said, why not me? Because some people, a lot of people, say, why you? Like, how does this happen to you? Like, I said, why not me? Like, no one's immune yeah. from things happening to them in their lives. I don't care who you are. If you live long enough, you're gonna deal with some type of adversity. Like, what makes me so special that I can't be afflicted with something? Or have to deal with some type of adversity in my life. I mean, I I, I would say like so my aunt was telling one of my aunts was, I said, "Well, the devil chose the wrong guy because you know <laughs> he's, he's not gonna be happy with the outcome of this one." And uh, and so I just man, I I just like flooded my mind with, with scripture, and I would say stuff out loud, and just I just believed like I didn't care about what I felt like or what the doctor said. Man, I. I probably was rude to doctors because, like David said, well, you're going to have this, you're going to have that. I said, no, I'm not. I'm not, not going to experience that. You know, you need to take this medicine. I'm not taking any medicine. I'm not taking pills. I'm not doing it because I don't, I don't like taking pills. I said, I'm not doing it. I said, I'm not in pain. I'm not hurting. I'm not doing it. Well, next week you're going to feel this way. You're going to be nausea. You're going to be weak. You, don't, you know, you, you won't be walking here. You'll be in a wheelchair. And I said, no, I won't. I will not and man i I didn't believe any of that like i I hmm. never had side effects from chemo from radiation I was never fatigued I didn't lose weight over it i didn't I didn't go through that stuff loss of yeah. appetite all the numbness and things and I, I do know people that have because i by me going through it, now I deal with, and I speak to a lot of people that, that yeah. deal with cancer. So I know the rigors of, of cancer and what it can do to your body and how it can break you down. But man, I was spared from all of that. Why was I spared? I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. when I get to heaven, I can ask God. But, but I, I do believe this, that I didn't waver in, in my faith at all. I mean, I believe that God had healed my body and I believe that I was protected through the blood of Christ. And I, and I kept saying this, like I would, I would say like my, my white blood counts, my red blood counts, they won't dip. Like they will not be messed with. I, like my hemoglobin, everything. I said my, 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 my body will be chemically balanced. It won't be imbalanced. Treatment and radiation will not harm anything that's good inside of me. It won't. It will do what it was designed to do. But my body is covered through the blood of Christ, and no weapons that are formed against me shall prosper. Nothing unclean shall dwell in me. I didn't let people say your cancer, and I never said my cancer because I didn't. It's not mine, mm-hmm. and I didn't. I didn't claim it like that. Like I rebuked it. Like it, it can't be in me. It doesn't belong in me. It's got to go. And I, I, I. That was that was what I stood whole. I, I, I took hold of that mindset and that mentality. And I never let that go. I didn't let it go, man. No matter what, like the doctor was saying, because of the tumor that was in my rectum, it was in a bad spot. And the doctor was saying, I can't promise you that I can do the surgery that you're asking me to do. He said, chances were I was going to have to wear a, a colostomy bag for the rest of my life. And I said, no chance. There's no chance of that. Mm-hmm. I said, there's no chance that's happening. And he said, how can I said there ain't it ain't happening. I'm telling you, I, I'm not. I'm not going to wear it. I said, my body's going to function the way God designed me to function. And the doctors like, kept looking at me like baffled. But then every time I would come for my checkups, they would see my blood count and my numbers. And he was like, how can your stuff be so intact? Hmm. What are you doing? Like, like I'm not doing anything. I'm just covered, man. Mm-hmm. He didn't, he couldn't believe it. He could not believe it. And then the tip, the tip of the iceberg was, when I was done with all the treatment. And I went in, I was gonna have surgery to remove the tumor. And so this was a Friday, okay? They don't do anything on the weekends, but Monday morning was my surgery day. So Friday I did scans and there was a huge, the tumor was still in my rectum and it, the chemo and the radiation had not really done much to it, had no effect on it really. And the doctor, he showed me, he scoped everything. And he said, here's the tumor, I could see it, he could see it, my wife could see it, and the others in the room. And he said, I, I just, I'm kind of disappointed in the results from the chemo and the radiation. Um, and he said, I just don't know that, that I can do what you're asking me to do, because mm-hmm. the tumor is still in a bad spot and it's very significant, it's low. He said, I don't think I can reconnect you. And I said, doc, you will. You, you'll reconnect me Monday. You'll so your, your faith is helping trying to get him to, like, you got to believe you can do this. Yeah. I, well, I told him, I said, maybe you're not going to do it. I said, maybe you're just going to be guided. I said, but I'm, I'm telling you that Monday after the surgery, because he was saying, like, you're going to wake up and you're going to have a bag on your left side or you're going to have a bag on your right side. Hmm. He said, if it's on your left side, it's permanent if it's on your right side, it's temporary. And I said, it will be on my right side when I wake up from surgery Monday. And he's there, I just can't promise you that. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I'm not asking you. <laughs> and so, and this is what happened. Cause that tumor, I, I saw it, my wife saw it, he saw it, and everyone else in the room, it was like six or seven people in the, in the room, you know, his assistants. And so Friday, my wife and I went to the hotel, and we prayed. and I, and. And, I'll, and I know I'm turning this to a sermon, but,
0: no, but gonna,
1: I got I to tell this. Yeah. And, and I go, Lord, I claimed a healing over my body in, in April. I said, I claimed it. I said, I believe that you healed me completely. I believe that with every fiber of my being, I believe that you have healed me. I said, the thing that I believed in my, in my spirit, I said, because I've done everything medically that's been asked of me. I've done every treatment, chemo and radiation. I said, and the, the, the tumor is still there. It's still very significant. I said, so I just believe that what I believed in my spirit is now going to manifest itself in my physical body. And I said, I just, I claim that Monday morning when the doctors get inside of me and perform the surgery, I said, they're going to be amazed by what you've done. And I said, there's gonna be no other reason that it could have been but you. I said, because they've already seen everything today that still exists. I said, and for Monday, I think it's time that you're gonna show up and you're gonna show up you're gonna do what only you can do. And you're gonna receive glory through this whole process. And this is no lie, Monday morning, I had surgery for seven and a half hours, okay? It was called a robotic pectonomy was a surgery that I had where they they place a robot inside of me and they put on goggles and and do their thing, I guess, treat me somewhat like a video game. And so, yeah. And so after three hours of surgery, uh, Dr. Chang was my doctor. He went and updated my wife, updated Stacy. And he told Stacy. He said, "Friday, you know, we, we looked at his body. We saw the tumor there, significant, and it was low. And I just wasn't sure what I was gonna be able to do this morning." He said, "But when we got everything positioned in his body this morning, the tumor that we saw Friday was the only scar tissue today." Uh-huh. He said, "And I, he said, and I'm just going to clean up the scar tissue and clean it. He, he's going to have clean margins." And I'm going to reconnect him and he's going to be, it's going to be just fine. Wow. But I mean, so to God be the glory. (laughs) That's Um, awesome, man. That's why I have to give him glory. Like, because I know in my life, like what, what he's done, like, and, and that's, and this whole thing started this whole part of this, because I believe that God puts me where I, where he needs me to be. If we're faithful, he puts us where he needs us to be. And he, he let me, he put me in Texas, you know, he used Bandy to do it, but he put me in Texas for a reason. Maybe for a reason like this. Right. And so we never know. And that's why I don't complain about stuff, man. I just I just walk in faith and, and I just what happens, I'm 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 grateful for it. That's awesome. That's so cool, man. The, the just
0: hearing you tell that story, just your mindset in regards to that, like you're, you're not going to let anything essentially that happen to you, right? You're just going to let it happen. Your Absolutely. faith, your faith is there, right? It just, you, nobody is going to basically tear you down. Um, that's right. That's, that's right. Incredible. That's so cool. So you're, yeah, so you're still going through that. You're getting closer to the five years. So that's awesome. Um, now you are, you're still in Texas. You're still a Texas Rangers third base coach. You guys are opening up a new stadium, right? Yes. And you, you've literally, at the time of this call, it's, we've just got into uh, July. It's July 3rd today. And you just had your first practice. Yep. There. Now, are you practicing in the new stadium?
1: Yeah, we're we in the, the new stadium, which is called Globe Life Field. The old ballpark is Globe Life Park. This is Globe Life Field. We're actually using both of them. Uh, because we own them both, and um, so we're able to kind of split up the numbers because we have like the 60, those 60 numbers of camp, so we, some guys are working out in the Globe Life field, which is a new stadium, and then some guys are going over the Globe Life Park, which is not set up for baseball anymore because the, uh, the uh, XS, XFL was playing there before they got canceled. Okay. So it was totally revamped for football, but we can still use it for things, for conditioning, for pitchers to do things, with PFP and stuff like that. And we're going to make a like a makeshift little field over there for some other stuff. But, yeah, we, we're able to utilize both facilities. Uh, but, yeah, today was the first official uh, day of spring training. We call it spring training 2.0. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Are you guys kind of on regular schedule right now, or is it just like a couple hours?
1: like just like a regular spring training just starting over again it's a little different because because of the protocols that are in place um, with the social distancing and the mask and you know, can only have a certain amount of people in, in and in, in one space uh, at a time yeah and so we we kind of we kind of like doing like waves it's different than a normal spring training where you have everybody together doing everything so we kind of have two waves like today we have two waves come in a wave coming early and then that wave gets out of the way and the next wave comes in and we try to we try to work out so they don't come in contact with each other and um and then at one o'clock we have a game schedule and so we'll try to set every day up so that the second wave is the people the, the the players that participate in that game as well? Okay. And so, if you work out in the morning, you you work out in the morning, then you go. If you're not going to participate in the game, so it's we're still feeling through it, you know, and trying to clean up any little bugs that we may run into. But today ran smoothly, and uh, you know, it seems like it's going to go fine. We just got to be diligent to to take care of each other, and. Uh, It's, it's, it's going to be a challenge. It's very different, but Mm -hmm. hopefully we, hopefully we can get through it. I mean, it takes more than just us. It's 29 other teams. that has got to stay safe and healthy as well. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: man. So we got a, so as you know, I'm a Vegas guy. You got Joey Gallo. who has been quite the staple with the Rangers the last few years. Uh, What have you seen with Joey? And because when he got to the big leagues, we all know how much power he had. Um, you got the hit tool, the power tool. The power was, you know, definitely more than the hit tool. But he's starting to figure things out. What are you seeing with Joey's development?
1: I think it's just a, like he's maturing a little more as as a man. I'm, you know, I, I, when Joey first came up a few years ago, he, was, he worried about a little too much. Like he put a lot of pressure on himself to do well. Uh, you know, when you play with Harper and Chris Bryant and guys like that, and then you see them around the league, you know, doing well you know, he looks at himself as one of those guys. It's not better. And so, you know, the added pressure of, of trying to live up to that hype and, and, and put up big numbers, He he's kind of wore that on his shoulders a little bit. Uh, but I think last year he kind of relaxed a little bit and just decided that, hey, I'm just going to play and, and be who I am and I'm not, not trying to outdo someone else. But just be the best that Joey Gallo can be because he, he is he's a super talent man right. I mean he is unbelievably talented you know and that's what and I used to, I always tell him all the time like when I'm going up the third and he's on deck you know because I tell him say remember something you're Joey Gallo and no one else is right. I mean there's only one of you I mean and I would say you have a special talent man that people envy like you wish they could be your size and and run as fast as you do and throw a ball like you do and hit a ball as far as you do. I mean, there's nothing physically that he can't do. Yeah. And so mentally, you, you got to start believing in your gift, you know. And that's what I try to do with him is make sure that he he believes in in the in the gift that he has, and so that it can it can flourish. But I think he's starting to to come into that mindset where he can just relax and. And just play the game and have fun doing it without all the pressure that he puts on himself. But, man, he's whew, <laughs> incredibly talented, man. It's amazing to have that much talent in one person.
0: Yeah, I, I, well, I had the privilege of – I coached one year in high school and it, it was at Bishop Gorman, and it just happened to be Joey's senior year. Mm. And, and so I got to witness, you know, the, yeah. all the scouts coming. He, he was actually a big reason why I got into scouting. Um, mm-hmm. we had Joey Gallo, Harvard Westlake had come down during the fall. You had Lucas Diolito yeah. and oh, Max yeah. Creed was a part of that team. And we had, there's a hundred scouts, you know, watching this in the fall. Like it's not even the season yet. Right. <laughs> I'm like looking around, I'm like, God, oh, this is amazing. You know? And, yeah. Um, but then just watching Joey, what he was able to do, um, and then just a, like you said his size right he's 6'5 now what is he is he close to 240
1: 250 he's got to be man he is yeah. massive he's huge and I mean, he still
0: runs is you know the, the he way covers he ground
1: yeah he's I mean to be that fast that big and that fast I mean it's, yeah. it's ridiculous yeah he, he could be a tight end in the
0: NFL right now if you wanted to. easily yeah. yeah easily that's really cool well, man, this is, Tony, this has been incredible. Um, I know you have an amazing story. This is everything I expected uh, out of you. Because, you know, back to when we first met, you know, I was I was just a young kid, um, 17 drafted by the Pirates, 18, and then we, we finally meet at 19. I didn't know yeah. you had come down, and you were my personal Kevin Costner. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Um, so that's it's funny how these stories and when i started to do this things start to come out and we're able to start to talk about them uh but not realizing it or having that like i didn't have that perspective or realize you did that um you're you're like i I gotta go teach this 19 year old come on man (laughs) i'm trying to get into the big league screw
1: (laughs) herman well hey they had value in me because to, to to trust the fact that that to think that I could come down and help you who I knew, you know, we were, we were invested in you big time, you know? And um, so I guess in hindsight, when I look at that, I'm like, that's, that's pretty, that's a pretty big assignment actually to, to ask of someone to do. So, so obviously they had to believe that I, that I could bring something and, and, and have, I had some type of quality to be able to, to connect and, and, and do something that maybe they must've felt that they didn't have an instructor that could do it at the time. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. People have asked me all the time, like, you know, everyone has their infield coordinators and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, You know, and I was obviously going through a rough struggle in the infield and um, really at the end of the day, just wanted out of there, you know, I will get me in the outfield, let me go have fun. And um, when it got to the point where it wasn't fun, then I started to really question like, what am I doing? Um, So that that sounded like you were the same way going through all that too. So, but man, this has been incredible. What advice is we? We'll wrap this up because I really appreciate your time here. What advice do you have for say these young high school kids, even a young you know college type kid, Any advice that you want to give them?
1: Well, I mean, just enjoy. I mean, enjoy the 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 opportunity that you have and, and embrace like all of it, like the good, the bad, the the ugly, uh, it, it's, it's really the, the, the camaraderie that you build, the, the, the friendships, uh, that you make, the places and the experiences that you, that you get to, to, to have. Those are the things that really last and, uh, you can hold your hat to that. And so I, I would say just, you know, be the best that you can be and, and accept, accept whatever that is and whatever that, wherever that leads you, Accept that as well and be content with that. But the the bottom line is because I tell my son, I had a son, he played college ball, he didn't get drafted. But if you've done your very best, like if you know that everything that you had, you gave it, like you didn't cheat yourself, you, you made the necessary sacrifices, then you will hold your head up high and you'll move on to the next chapter of your life. However, if you do not, apply yourself, then you'll never forget that. And you'll always wonder, what if I had done this? And that's not a good way to to live your life with the what ifs. So try to eliminate the what ifs of life and just give your best, man, and be content with the outcome. And I mean, that's, I mean, if I could, I think that's probably the best advice I could give. You just gotta enjoy yourself and, and embrace every moment, every opportunity that you have. And everybody's journey is different but everybody's journey is necessary and is important. And, and I say that because had I ever thought that I would deal with cancer? No. Mm. Was 2016 the worst or the best year of my life? I can tell you it was the best year of my life. And it was the, the year that I dealt with cancer. I learned so much about who I am, who God is, what I'm made out of. But more than that is because of what I went through, I have something to offer to people that are going through the same thing. And and I think that you'll you enjoy your journey, that wherever life takes you, man, embrace that journey and make sure that you you look at it with, through the op- optimistic eyes and, and understand that there is a purpose behind it. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's yeah. about the best I could give. That's awesome,
0: absolutely. Well, man, we will be uh, – I guess I'll be somewhat rooting for you. We happen to be in the same division. So, and we'll, we'll see about that. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so excited and happy for you with just where things have turned out for you. You know, it, nothing makes me happier to see. I mean, you're coming up on 10 years in the big leagues Yes. Yeah. coach. Yeah. And, you know, it's when I've been talking to all these players, it's interesting how they're – like I did it once – and I titled it, you know, The Path That I Didn't Expect. You know I didn't right. expect this to happen. We all grew up we want to be we want to be a big leaguer. we want to we want to play the game as long as we can. Mm-hmm. didn't maybe it didn't work out the way we, way we planned, but man right. things are going pretty well
1: <laughs> that's right right exactly right yeah. exactly right. so yeah I, I, in my wildest dream I, I probably wouldn't have told you, you know twenty years ago that I'd be that I would have been able to do this, you know, yeah. but
0: What's well, awesome. You got to win
1: each day, man. Win Absolutely. win today and, and see what tomorrow's got for you. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, you you look you look exactly the same. That you know, we we're, we we're, we're talking like 20 <laughs> years later think, that I've seen yeah, you. It's been, a, it's been a while. Exactly the same. The only,
1: only difference is no hair, but Hey man, hey, yeah. welcome to the club. It's all good. Well, you know, yeah, you know what this is the style. So people with hair they yeah. do this now. So it's, yeah, you would look, look ridiculous with hair. hair there you go, there you go. <laughs> yeah but you know hey we got to take care of ourselves because you know keep, keep our in shape and everything and so that's right
0: well hey man i appreciate your time best of luck to you and your family um appreciate coming on board i've always respected you everything you believe about you know your relationship with god your faith obviously that's been a huge impact in your life and yeah. is getting you through this bout with cancer so i I applaud you, man. This is awesome.
1: Thank you, Hermy. I appreciate this opportunity, man. And uh, hopefully uh, you know, it can inspire someone. Absolutely. Thanks, yeah. man. We'll talk to
0: you soon, Tony. I appreciate it. All right, brother. Thank you. Okay. Take care of yourself. We'll see you. All right, you too. Okay, bye-bye. bye-bye. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Tony. Obviously, you can tell Tony is just an amazing person, amazing character. I've had such huge respect for him coming up as a young player. He's obviously almost 10 years into being a coach at the big league level. So, congrats to him. Congrats to his family. He had some awesome words. I love his faith in Christ through this whole episode. So, hopefully, you enjoyed that. If you want more coaching for you individually, your son, your daughter, I'm going to be opening up a Zoom live call. It's going to be a monthly membership where you're going to be able to join me live to go through anything that you're going through. I'm going to create a community. Of athletes where we can get online, we can talk together, some coaching will be done, stories will be shared, and all these experiences. So make sure you check out the, the information in this link below in the YouTube link section here. So thanks again for joining us. Make sure you subscribe, hit that bell button so you don't miss out on any new episodes. We'll see you in the next show.